Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. So we are smack dab in this middle of this new series that we're doing called This is True. That is real. And what we've been doing is we've been talking about these truths that mean something in the light of eternity. And what we've found out is that sometimes these truths often bump up against other truths and it, and it causes tensions. And every single week we've been going through, I don't want to go through all these today because it's going to start sounding like, you know, the 12 days of Christmas. But in week one, we talked about, you know, because that's the one that I did. We learned that, yes, you know, trust can build your faith. And yet we also learned that doubt can build your faith. And so if you're interested in finding out exactly what all these words mean, you can find those messages on our website. But today, what we're going to find out is that if we drop the ball on one of these truths, it might actually make the other truth appear to be less true. So with that in mind, if you are someone here today who grew up in a Christian household, now I know a lot of us did not, but maybe that's you, somewhere along the way, chances are someone, maybe a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a guardian or someone in your life, chances are they taught you how to pray before a meal. We call this saying grace sometimes. And maybe you often wonder, why is it called saying grace? Well, grace comes from the Latin word for thank you. That's why Italians say grazia, right? Grace, thank you. Um, but we were taught these very simple, almost formulaic prayers that are very, you know, repeatable for children. Now, I don't know who taught me the prayer that I did growing up, but for most of my life, I would pray, dear God, bless this food, provide for the poor and needy, Jesus' name, Amen. Now, somewhere along the way, I misheard, had, you know, being taught, I misheard the word provide. And it's kind of like when you mishear a lyric and you find out you've been, you know, singing the wrong song for your whole life. Like for most of my life, I was actually saying, bless this food, buy for the poor and needy, okay, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nobody said anything. Mom's not correcting me. Dad, I'm just sitting over there, you know, thanks God for this food. Basically, would you mind picking up a couple of things when you're out there for? you know, for the poor folks. But, you know, so this is, this is what I prayed growing up. And honestly, I still kind of pray this particular one today, although I now say provide rather than buy. So but I've never heard anybody else pray this prayer. And if you've prayed this prayer, just come find me afterwards because I want to shake your hand. I feel like this may have been a custom job. Most kids, um, the prayer that they learned and maybe you've learned or perhaps even say today, and if you know it, feel free to say along with me. Most kids say, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for, look at all you guys, you know it so well, right? That old chest night, okay? It's a beautiful, it's a beauty, right? Classic. Why am I talking about these childhood prayers? Well, because inside of this prayer is today's truth. This, this childhood prayer, and perhaps even as an adult, you're still saying it, and that's fine. We're not judging you or anything. Inside of this prayer is something that I know to be true and something that I believe to be true with all of my heart. Now, the truth that exists inside of this prayer can be controversial sometimes because there, there, there are many out there who have had experiences that have led them to believe that this truth is not, in fact, true. And towards the end of the message, we're going to find out what we can do, what our role might be in fixing that idea. But here's what I know to be true. God, with the props, is good. Okay? God is good. 
Now, as soon as you start saying that God is good, as soon as you attach this adjective, this word onto God by saying he's good, it can almost immediately cause tension for some folks, depending on what their experience has been in this world and what their understanding is as to how the world works. Because for some of us, we, we sometimes confuse the fallen nature of the world, right? What, what was once perfect and has now fallen because of sin. We sometimes confuse the fallen nature of the world around us with God's character. Or we'll see the evilness of, of humans and we attribute that to God. Or we see sickness or we see death and we, and, and, and we attribute that to God. And so when I say things like God is good, some of you perhaps even here today or watching online, you might go, I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. Based on what I've seen, based on the headlines that I've read and the footage that I'm not sure that God is in fact good, but I'll just tell you this, God is the opposite of evil. And he's the opposite of death. He's the opposite of sin. He is the opposite of darkness. God is in fact good. I believe that with all of my heart to be true. And God's goodness can be seen in so many ways. David beautifully wrote in Psalm 145, everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing joy, sing with joy, pardon me, about your righteousness. The Lord is good to everyone. He, God is good to everyone. And I, and I love the fact that it says everyone because in the original Hebrew, when you look at this word everyone, it actually means, well, everybody. And I, and I think... I think we tend to believe, we might not articulate this publicly, but I've, some of us might tend to believe that God's only good to Christians. Maybe Jews, right? Jury's out, we're not really sure theologically. I don't know how it works, but, 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 but certainly not everybody. I mean, that wouldn't be fair. But yeah, everybody. I mean, in the creation of this beautiful world that we live in, God showers blessings and his goodness on each and every single person. If you are a human, most of you are, right? if you find yourself in this group known as everyone, then there is nowhere in the universe that you could go where God won't be good to you. It would be out of his character to be anything but good. Additionally, God's goodness can be seen in his patience towards human beings. In fact, all throughout scripture, I mean, New Testament, Old Testament, maps to contents, okay? God's goodness is frequently linked to his patience, particularly with us. I mean, in Psalm 100, we read, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting, which means God never runs out of mercy. Adam, who spoke last week, reminded us that God never gives up on us. I mean, how many times have you found yourself praying, Lord, uh, it's me again, and uh, it's the same thing again, and, and it's no better than last time. I, right? I mean, I, for me, it's like, God, I, it's, it's me again, um, and I'm worrying again about the thing you tell me not to worry about. Yeah, I'm still doing it. But in God's goodness and his mercy, he doesn't scold us. He didn't turn his back on us like the perfect heavenly father that he is. He just lovingly says, okay, tell me about it. Tell me. Scripture says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate 
to those who fear him. And this word fear confuses us as English speakers. It means who have respect for him, who have reverence for him. And I love this next line. For he knows how weak we are. And he remembers we are only dust. In other words, that big, bad, scary, ruthless, bloodthirsty God that the world would make you believe you worship is actually tender and compassionate to his children. And, and he doesn't expect us to be perfect because I love how it says he remembers. He remembers making us, forming us, knitting us together in our mother's wombs. He knows that we're but humans. We're but dust. And I think, in my opinion, I think this verse alone could absolutely change someone's entire understanding of God. It could absolutely change the relationship they have with God. I mean, this verse right here could be why one of you came today. I mean, this, this, could, this could be your God moment. Additionally, God's goodness is seen in his provision. We serve a God who provides. David continued in Psalm 145 saying, the eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. Lord, the Lord is righteous in everything he does and is filled with kindness. Meaning, every relationship you have, every job you've landed, every sunset you've seen, every bird song you hear, every dollar you've earned, every breath you take, everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. It is amazing to think that if we are in the will of God through Jesus Christ, his son, we will never face a genuine need for which God does not give us genuine provision. I mean, think about this. The one who gave us lungs supplies our air. The one who has given us stomach supplies food and drink. The one who made us in his image supplied us companionship. And the one who made us with eternal souls provided a pathway to eternity because we know that for God so loved the world. And I think so many of us think that God hates the world. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is so good, scripture tells us. God is so good that even while we were still sinners, even while we still hated him, he sent his son Jesus into this world to die on our behalf. That should we say yes to his son, we would be given the gift of eternal life. But here's what's so great about eternal life. Eternal life is way more and way better than just some place you go when you die. Eternal life is actually the opportunity to know your heavenly father. Jesus says it like this. Now this is eternal life, right? You want to know what eternal life is? Jesus goes, here it is. Get your paper, get your pen, that they, and that means you and me, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. See, God sent Jesus into this world to do more than just die on the cross. 
He sent Jesus so that we might actually know the Father, the creator of the universe, the spirit that keeps everything together. He sent Jesus into this world that he could reflect the Father's character for us to see. Jesus says it like this. I tell you the truth. The Son, he's speaking of himself, can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Paul wrote over half the New Testament, distills it down like this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You know what this means? This means that when you look at Jesus, you actually see your heavenly Father. You you see a God who walks with us, who talks with us. We see a God who teaches us to live, who teaches us to love. You see a God who mourns when we mourn. And you see a God who would die on our behalf. And the more I read scripture, the more it becomes very clear how profound that childhood prayer was. Because God is great. And God is good. But here's something else I know to be true. And this next thing, if we don't do this next thing, this world that we live in might not know that this is really real. Because yes, God is good. And yes, you should do good. And I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you should do good to get God's approval. Because it doesn't work like that. And I'm not saying you should do good to get in heaven. Because it definitely doesn't work like that. I'm saying you should do good to reflect God's character. I'm saying you should do good because you have been the beneficiary of God's goodness. I'm saying you should do good so that the world will see that God is good. And the problem is, this tension that exists, is that far too many Christians, not every Christian, and I'm not saying it's any of you, I'm just saying far too many Christians in this world rely on God's goodness and have benefited from God's goodness, and yet they drop the ball when it comes to actually doing the good. And when we who are followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, when we don't do good, it's actually difficult for others to see that the God whom we worship is good. In a letter to a guy named Titus, Paul, we've mentioned him already, he says this to him. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Meaning, not because of the good we do, but because God is good. He saved us. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And then he summarizes this whole passage that he just wrote, that I just read to you. And he says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to insist on these teachings, Titus. Meaning, Titus, everything I've just said, 
The entire gospel narrative that you know, everything God has done in this world up to and including dying on the cross, I want you, Titus, to teach people all of this so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. Devoting themselves to doing good. This is so unbelievably convicting for me because um, how many times do we say, well, we got we to teach people, we got to reinforce the gospel inside these churches that people know they're going to heaven and we should be doing that. And Paul says, reinforce, make sure they know it so that they'll devote themselves to doing good. And in my time as being a Christian, my time in, in, in working in the local church, which is upwards of a, over a decade now at this point, it seems to me like there's a lot of Christians out there who believe they were saved from their sins to simply go to church. There's a lot of Christians out there who simply believe they were saved from their sins to just sing their favorite worship songs on a Sunday. There's a lot of Christians out there who believe they were saved from their sins so they could just go to a Bible study. And don't get me wrong, all those things are good things. And you should be doing all of those things. But according to Paul, I mean, he says that in Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works. Which, by the way, if you don't know, God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. Christ came to this world to reveal the Father to us. Now, as followers of Christ, if that's you in this room, according to this, it's our job. It's our duty. We were made for it, to reveal Jesus and God to the world, not just through our words, but through our good works. So, what is your life telling others about God? Because every week across this nation, Christians everywhere are funneling into their little churches. And we close the doors behind us. And we hear stories about God's goodness, don't we? And we sing songs about God's goodness. And we're the beneficiaries of God's goodness. But what are we doing on a daily basis? weekly or monthly basis to show the world the goodness of God. I mean, what are we doing to show them that this is really real, that God is good? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said this in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify, I love this, your Heavenly Father, putting it right on you. In other words, if you actually want others to know that God is good, if you actually want the world to know that, that God has changed your life and that God can change your, their lives as well, you got to do good. Because your good works, your good deeds, your service glorifies your Father in heaven. In my wife's school, she teaches in the in the city, they have this awesome quote that is painted on a mural in one of the hallways. And it's from a guy named John Wesley, 
John Wesley was the guy who started the uh, Wesleyan movement, which I think turned into the, the Methodist church, if I'm not incorrect on that. But here's what he said many hundred years ago. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Jesus didn't die on that cross so that we could just come to church. He died so that we could live to serve. And if this is true, and I believe it is, then the big meatball question we got to ask ourselves is, are you letting God engage the world around you through your good works? Now, if the answer is no, that's okay, because we can change that. But for some of us, shifting our lives towards service and good deeds is going to take a little bit more than a little, little tweak. For some of us, it might take a radical redesign. Now, here's something you may not know. Adam Duckworth, a volunteer coordinator, spoke the last two weeks. Adam actually travels the country and the world. He's made it as far as New Zealand, helping churches, large and small, to implement volunteer strategies. That's what he does. He's actually written two books, halfway decent. Um, it's actually pretty good. They're called Not Normal. It's shocking, okay? You can pick them up on Amazon. Um, anyway, in his travels, he's learned a lot of very interesting statistics about the local church. And, and what he has seen in this country is that on average, in these churches, big or small, on average, 10% of the congregation serves. 10% of the people that come through the doors that would call that church their home church give of their time to serve others in an attempt to glorify God. But here's something that makes me so proud. And here's something that should make you proud. And I know you're not supposed to like have pride and all that kind of stuff, but like whatever, I'm proud about this, okay? Here at Downtown Harbor Church, 35% serves. Yeah, that's clappable. Give me the old clap job, okay? Look, this is unheard of. You ask Adam. He, there's no, he has not seen anything, and he's been to some huge mega churches. He has not seen anything near this. You know what this tells me? You know what this stat tells me about you guys? What this stat tells me about the people that God has blessed this particular church with? This statistic tells me that this church Downtown Harbor Church is filled with people who are dying to do good. And we have mastered, and I will use that word, we have mastered what it means to serve inside the local church. But, and this is something I've been more and more convicted about lately, and this is something we have struggled with as an organization since our inception almost six years ago. We, the church, we got to harness what we've mastered in here to do more good out there, outside these walls, in this community. Because you may not know this, but the city of Fort Lauderdale, it's called Broward County. This city's got a massive homeless crisis. I mean, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. One of our attenders, Scott Sonnenberg, plays the electric guitar over here most weeks. 
few years ago, he had a burden for the homeless. There's a burden that God put in his heart. And he answered that burden. He just started going out there, and, and he works in finance. But I mean, in his free time, at nighttime or on the weekends, he would just go out there and talk to these folks. How are you doing? How can we help you? And just by simply doing that, you should see how God has used it. I mean, this, quite frankly, this organization that he has now built, the city of Fort Lauderdale contacts him to help solve the problem. He goes into court with these folks. He helps them get jobs. He puts clothes on them. I mean, it is amazing. Outside this wall, there is a massive sex trafficking crisis in the city of Fort Lauderdale. And here's something you probably don't know. Our problem specifically impacts the male population. And outside these walls, we got a massive foster care crisis. There is a real and pressing need in Broward County to help kids who have been removed from their homes due to abuse, neglect, abandonment. Now, I just want you to think about these three groups because there's tons of problems. I just want you to focus on these three groups. And I want you to use the imagination that your Heavenly Father has given you. And I want you to imagine their experience in this world. I want you to imagine, if you can, what these folks are experiencing Right now, at 11.15. And now I want you to experience, I want you to imagine. Based on their experience in this world, what they've seen, what they've endured, perhaps what's been done to them, I want you to imagine how they might possibly View God. Folks, if you're a Christian, you don't have an excuse to not do good. I mean, we right here in this church, we could be the ones to show this group that God is in fact good, that we worship and serve a good God, and it isn't that anyone is saying no to doing good. It's just we're not saying yes. You know, we're telling our kids and we're telling the world, here's the gospel, here's the good news. But if we're not doing anything with the good news to help the broken who are all around us, then we're not demonstrating to this world that this is real, that God is good. I'll just tell you this right now. There is a group inside this church who is meeting to formulate a brand new initiative, and we're not prepared to let you know what that is. It's a little teaser. And it's an initiative that will hopefully mobilize us to do good in this community, to change lives in this community, so that God can be glorified. Yes, God is good. And yes, you should do good. You need to do good. You must do good. And if we drop the ball over here, folks, 
then we are setting people up to miss what's over here. If we say no to this, there's a greater chance that the world around us may ultimately say no to that. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? First time here at DHC, every single week, put this word in the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So it's a real simple one this week, folks. Don't wait to do good. Don't wait. If you're a Christian in this room, and I know a lot of you are, if you're a Christian in this room, you were saved not just to go to heaven, but to do good. God made you, it says, to do good. He has planned out all the good things that he wants you to do. He just wants you to say yes. And I think we often say to ourselves, and I'm guilty of this, well, you know, if this particular service opportunity presented itself, then I'd serve. Absolutely. You know, but since this particular opportunity, whatever this thing might be, since this isn't really a reality yet, mm, I'm just going to wait until it is. Listen, doing good isn't a rocket launch, okay? You don't got to wait for perfect conditions. You don't need to wait for a perfect window in order to show the world and the people around you that you love them and God loves them, that God is good. Christ said this, I, a new command. It means you got to do it. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, meaning in the manner that I, Jesus, have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he said something very convicting. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. In other words, if you want people to know that you're actually a Christian... If you actually want to reflect God's character and his goodness in this world as Jesus reflected God's goodness and God's character in this world, then you must love one another. You must serve one another. And you must do good. So that the world will see that your Father in heaven is good. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here together today. And I want to thank you, Lord, for how good you have been to this world and particularly to those of us who've said yes to your son, Jesus. And God, because we've been given the gift of eternal life, We've been given the privilege, privilege to know you and to see you. And I pray, God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would encourage us and embolden us to do something in this world to make a difference so that you are glorified and lives around us are changed so that this world will know that you are, in fact, a good God in the midst of everything that's going on around us. That's what we were saved for. That's why we're here. That's what you have planned for us since the beginning of time. Help us to just say yes. And I pray that 
as a church, you would open up a way for us to make a permanent and impactful difference in this city. And I pray, Lord, that on an individual level for everybody here, you might show them the needs that are already on their paths and that we may have missed. Help us, God, to do something. And Lord, I just want to lift up the three groups we spoke about today. Our homeless brothers and sisters. Those who have been pulled into the 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 sex slave trade. And all the children who've been ripped from their homes for one reason or another. I just pray that today in a powerful and special way that they could feel your spirit. That you might put someone on their path who would do something for them and perhaps change their lives forever. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.